0: The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com.
1: We've been working our way passage by passage through the book of Acts. And today the next passage we come to is Acts 20, 17-38. And teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to jews and to greeks of repentance towards god and of faith in our lord jesus christ and now behold i am going to jerusalem constrained by the spirit not knowing what will happen to me there except that the holy spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me but i do not account my life as any value nor as precious to myself I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship, May God bless the reading of his word.
0: Thank you, Shane. Let's pray together. Father, we pray, according to Isaiah 55, that as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so would your word be this morning, that it would not return to you empty, but would accomplish that which you purpose and succeed in the thing for which you sent it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. It's almost impossible to overstate the amount of damage that's been done to the church and the church's witness through ungodly leadership. To borrow from a biblical expression, celebrity atheists like Richard Dawkins, for example, have turned their thousands away from God But ungodly Christian leaders and ungodly pastors have turned away their tens of thousands. The world is watching how Christians, and particularly Christian leaders, conduct themselves. And so they notice, for example, when a celebrity pastor in New York City, who famously baptized Justin Bieber, is caught cheating on his wife. They notice when a megachurch pastor in Seattle resigns in disgrace because of a pattern of heavy-handed leadership and emotional abuse toward his staff members. They notice when the pastor of a Chicago megachurch who led not just that church, but an entire nationwide network of churches is fired for misappropriating church funds as well as several other notable character issues. So people notice these things. I believe it's even fair to say that these men and others like them, uh, the, the way they've conducted themselves has done more harm to the church's witness than perhaps any other single factor. And that's why it's so critical for us to appoint People to serve as leaders in the church who are biblically qualified and who have the character to support the ministry platform that they're giving. Now, thankfully, I believe our church has been incredibly blessed with two very godly men who were unanimously voted in as the the newest elders of our church at our members' meeting last Sunday those men are Jeremy Kasky and Rick Corey, whom we would like to officially appoint as elders today. Yet even the best men can uh, benefit from being reminded of what godly leadership in the local church looks like. And that's where our main passage of Acts 20 verses 17 through 38 comes in. And who knows, we may even discover some teachings in this passage that are relevant not just to Incoming church elders, but to all of us who desire to make a meaningful impact on people around us and, and make a difference in the lives of others. Now, to remind you of the background here, Paul is on his way back from what's often known as his third missionary journey and is on his way to Jerusalem. And on his trip to Jerusalem, he passes through a city called Miletus which was near the city of Ephesus, where Paul had started a church and had spent quite a bit of time. We then find this, written in verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So Paul's in Miletus, but wants to talk to these elders from Ephesus. And so as we see here, he sends, to them, he sends for them, and then the rest of the passage records the things he tells them. And uh, by the way when you hear us talking about elders this morning in case you're not already aware we're not just talking about the uh, the elderly people in our congregation uh, just so you know that the new testament actually uses the term elder to refer to the highest leaders in a local church with an emphasis not on their physical age but on their spiritual maturity it's also helpful to understand that the terms elder pastor and overseer are all synonymous in the new testament so that means they refer to all to the same office and in fact as we'll see all three terms are used interchangeably in this very passage of acts 20 and paul gathers these men together here in miletus in order to explain to them five principles for faithful ministry that's the main idea of this passage Paul explains to the Ephesian elders five principles for faithful ministry. And again, these principles are relevant not just to elders, but to all of us who desire to have a meaningful spiritual impact on others. So uh, let's just walk through these five principles together, shall we? Uh, first, your life is the greatest teaching tool you have. Your life is the greatest teaching tool you have. Verses 18 and 19 tell us, and when they came to him, he, Paul, said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. That's the very first thing recorded here that Paul says to these men. He tells them, you know how I lived. You know the manner in which I conducted myself, in which I faithfully served the Lord, even in the midst of these trials. And not only does Paul begin his speech with a reference to this exemplary conduct, he also ends it that way. He states in verses 33 through 35, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know. That These hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So at both the beginning and the end of Paul's address to these elders, he reminds them of the way he lived. He also exhorts them in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Now, it's not surprising that Paul tells these men to pay careful attention to the flock, which, by the way, is a metaphor for the church. After all, I mean, that's their job, right? Their job is to be attentive to what's going on in the church. Yet, as important as that is, there's something else Paul tells them to do, even prior to telling them to do that. He first tells them to pay careful attention to what? Yourselves. That's right. That's an elder's first and most foundational priority. Pay attention to yourselves. In other words, before you even think about others in the church and how they are doing spiritually, and how they need to grow, think about your own life. How are you doing spiritually? How do you need to grow? You know, it reminds me of what a flight attendant usually tells people when uh, they're flying on an airplane. You guys know that safety speech that they always give before the plane takes off, and they'll always mention the oxygen masks that'll drop down from the top compartment in the event of an emergency. But what do they always also tell people to do before you try to help someone else put on their oxygen mask? You gotta put on your own mask, right? Before you even try to help them, you first need to make sure that your mask is secure. Because if you try to help them, but it gets a little tricky maybe, and you're not able to do it and you pass out, well, you're not gonna be of any help to anyone. So if you're gonna help them, if you truly want to be helpful, you need to first make sure that you're in a position where you're able to help them. Ambition of our lives shouldn't be to be popular, but rather to be faithful. Faithful to God's word and faithful to God's call. Never forget, dear brothers, that as Paul says back in our main passage in verse 28, it's the Holy Spirit who has made you overseers. He's the one who called you. Whatever else an elder is, he is first and foremost a servant of the Lord. Then moving forward, the third principle is that you have a responsibility to teach the whole Bible. You have a responsibility to teach the whole Bible. As Paul states in verses 20 through 21, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul didn't avoid the hard teachings of the Bible. He taught very directly, first about the need for repentance That is, the need for people to to forsake and abandon the sins they've been embracing. And not only that, but also for them to exercise faith in Christ, to do for them what they could never do for themselves, and to rescue them from their sin. Paul didn't shrink from declaring these things. He then repeats that very same phrase about not shrinking back from teaching hard truths, Again, later on in the passage, verses 26 and 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul didn't just talk about biblical truths that were comfortable for people to hear. Now he declared the whole counsel of God. And notice what he says is the result of that, right? I am innocent of the blood of all. Think about that. What are the implications of that statement? If Paul hadn't obediently told people about the spiritual danger that they were in, separated from God, as well as other biblical truths that were difficult but important for them to hear, then there's a sense in which their blood, so to speak, would have been on his hands. I don't think he's saying he'd go to hell, but God would nevertheless hold him accountable in a very real way for his failure to tell people the truths that were critical for them to know. And by the way, in saying this, Paul's alluding to Ezekiel 33, 7-9, where God compares Ezekiel to a watchman. A watchman in ancient times had the responsibility of being on the lookout and warning the people in a city if an enemy army was approaching. And if the watchman sounded the alarm about an enemy army coming, but some of the people in the city didn't get ready, well, they would have no one to blame but themselves, However, if the watchman didn't sound the alarm when the enemy was coming, and people in the city ended up dying, whose fault was that? It's the watchman's. Likewise, God says, Ezekiel is a watchman. And in our main passage, Paul takes that imagery and applies it to himself as well. And, I believe we can say, by implication, to all Christian leaders and even to all Christians. We have the responsibility of sharing with people gospel truths that they desperately need to hear. And that responsibility rests on the shoulders of elders to an even greater degree. Brothers, if we truly love people, then we will tell them not just what they want to hear, but rather what they need to hear. It's similar to the responsibility that a doctor has. Any doctor who knows that a patient has cancer but doesn't tell them that they have cancer simply because the doctor doesn't want to have an uncomfortable conversation is guilty of severe medical malpractice. And likewise, any elder, or any Christian for that matter, who doesn't share with someone Information that's of vital importance to their soul is guilty of spiritual malpractice as well. Then the fourth principle for faithful ministry is this that ministry often requires significant personal sacrifice. Ministry often requires significant personal sacrifice. Back in verse 19, Paul reminded the Ephesian elders how he had served the Lord. It says, with all humility, and with tears, and with trials, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. You know, that's quite a bit different than many leaders today who try to use ministry to enrich themselves and exalt themselves. Rather, Paul served first with humility, renouncing all self-centered and self-exalting ambitions and tendencies in order to live a christ centered and Christ-exalting life. He also says that he served the Lord with tears. Undoubtedly, Paul was frequently brought to tears when he thought about the Jews whose hearts were hardened toward God, toward the gospel. He says in Romans 9, too, that he has great sorrow and unceasing anguish in his heart for the sake of his Jewish kinsmen, and yearns more than anything that they would be saved. However, I believe Paul was also brought to tears by the various things that were happening among Christians. When he saw false teachers wreaking havoc in the churches, he was brought to tears. When he saw Christians embracing all kinds of harmful teachings and being ensnared in all kinds of sins, he was brought to tears. And when at times even his own ministry partners, such as Demas, Departed from the faith in order to pursue worldly ambitions. He was brought to tears. And so be aware, dear brothers, that when you sign up to be an elder, that is part of what you're signing up for. Now, of course, there's also plenty of joy and blessings in elder ministry. But there are tears at times. It's impossible to truly love the people of God and to be genuinely concerned about their welfare without also simultaneously opening your heart to them and thereby making yourself vulnerable to deep hurt and pain whenever some of them end up walking down a path towards spiritual destruction. It will happen from time to time and it will be painful. And yet that's part of the sacrifice that's required in order to serve in this capacity. I'm reminded of what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, when he lists the ways in which he's suffered. In verse 23, he talks about the imprisonments and beatings he frequently faced, along with the times when he came within inches of death. And he then elaborates in verses 24 through 27, five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. So you get the picture of the extensive suffering this man faced in the course of his ministry. And yet what does he mention at the very end of this list as if to top it all off? He says in verse 28, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety or concern for all the churches when you become an elder you're taking on that burden there's a weight of responsibility that rests on your shoulders praise god that he's given us his holy spirit to dwell within us, and to help us carry that load faithfully. And yet there's still, nevertheless, significant personal sacrifice that's involved in carrying that load, as Paul reminds us both in 2 Corinthians and back in Acts 20. And then, of course, the other way in which Paul's ministry required significant personal sacrifice is the external sufferings he endured. We just read a bunch of them. And he also describes these in our main text, in verse 19, as the trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews and also alludes to the additional trials that he expected to face in Jerusalem in verses 22 through 24. And yet Paul was willing to endure them all for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. Because let's remember that any Sacrifice we make pales in comparison to the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross for us and then finally the fifth principle for faithful ministry is that shepherding God's flock is central to your calling shepherding God's flock is central to your calling looking again at verse 28 Paul tells these men pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for, literally in the original language, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. That is our call. (laughs) We're not just a board of directors. Like you'd find at any nonprofit. Nor are we merely a team of organizational strategists. No, our calling is to care for, to shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Notice two things about that statement. First, the church is said to be of God, in the sense that it belongs not to us but to him. You know, when something belongs to you, you usually take pretty good care of it. But when something belongs to someone else, and you have it, hopefully you take really good care of it, right? Like, let's say you had a, maybe a boss at work who drove a, I don't know, a Lamborghini. And uh, for whatever reason, some kind of circumstance arises where he asks you to do him a favor and drive his Lamborghini from point A to point B. Would be really nice, but also I'm guessing you would be a little bit nervous about that. And you would probably be very careful in driving, right? Or, or to use a more commonplace example, Becky and I are constantly on our kids to, to try to take care of the books in our house, right? If they're reading a book that we've purchased for them, we don't want them ripping the pages or coloring on the cover. Right? We want them to take good care of those books. They cost money. But if it's a library book, then it's even more important that we take good care, right? Because that book doesn't belong to us. And likewise, the church doesn't belong to its elders, it belongs to God. So that's one reason why we should care well for the church. But in addition to that, notice also what Paul goes on to say about the church. It's the church not only of God, but also which he obtained with his own blood. One of the most basic principles of economics is that something is worth whatever someone will pay for it. And no higher price has ever been paid than Jesus dying on the cross. For the sake of his people. When we were sinful. And condemned in our sin. Jesus. Suffered. The punishment. That we deserve. He stood. In force. As our substitute. And shed his own blood. To pay for our sin. And to think that he's entrusted the care of his church to us as elders is simply astounding. And so hopefully it goes without saying that we would want to exercise the utmost diligence in fulfilling that calling of caring for and shepherding the flock of God. And as the metaphor of a shepherd implies... That involves the same kinds of activities that a literal shepherd would have done back in ancient times. The most basic of these activities is to make sure that the sheep receive proper nourishment, a responsibility that we fulfill primarily by teaching the Bible. And secondly, as Paul emphasizes to the Ephesian elders in the subsequent verses, verses 29 through 31, that also involves protecting the sheep from wolves. It's an elder's job to warn people about the false teachings and false teachers that will devour them. And if all of this makes you feel inadequate, that's actually a good thing, because we are in and of ourselves inadequate. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 2.16, who is sufficient for these things? The answer, of course, is no one. And yet it's good for us to be aware of that inadequacy because that awareness hopefully drives us to rely on God for his grace and his empowerment for this ministry that he's given us. Because again, the reality is that it's not just us working, but rather the Holy Spirit Working in and through us, I'm reminded of that exchange between uh, the famed pastor of the 19th century, Charles Spurgeon, and the famed missionary, David Livingstone. Spurgeon was reputed to spend as many as uh, 16 hours each day doing uh, ministry work, and was just over an enormous number of organizations. Not to mention, of course, his world-famous preaching ministry. And so Livingstone once asked Spurgeon, how can you accomplish so much in one day? To which Spurgeon replied, you forget, Mr. Livingstone, that there are two of us working. So that is the confidence that we have in our ministry as well. Not just us, but the Holy Spirit working through us. And you know, what a privilege it is that we get to serve the Lord in this way. Uh, You know, the more I think about it, the more amazed I am that the Lord would use me to do anything. (laughs) He is unbelievably gracious to give any of us any opportunity whatsoever to participate in what he's doing in this world. And as if that weren't enough, we who are elders are promised a special reward in heaven that we can't even begin to comprehend. Listen to what Peter writes to church elders in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. Now, like Paul, he uses the analogy of a shepherd to describe elder ministry. And he says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, And so, yes, the responsibility of elder ministry is great, but the
1: reward is even greater.